Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to talk sports on Saturday here on ESPN 700. For the next two hours, we will cover everything from the Utes, Cougars, Aggies, RSL, and the Jazz to anything happening on the national stage. This is Sports Saturday. Welcome to Sports Saturday on ESPN 700. Talking local storylines from the week in sports. James Peterson behind the mic as always. Nils Bellick behind the glass. Today on the show, as always, you'll hear one of the best ESPN 700 interviews of the week. RSL analyst Brian Dunseth joined the drive with Spence Checkets on Tuesday. We'll play that interview for you. Uh, coming up next segment at 10.30. We'll also have plenty of NBA talk for you. It's an abbreviated show today. We've got Running Utes Basketball Senior Day up at the Huntsman Center taking on Colorado. Pre-game is at 11.30. That means we get, we're get we two segments short today, but that's just fine. We love, we love going on the air for whatever amount they let me go on. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. Um, and, of course, we're the home of the Utes. we got to have Senior Day. They're only going to be honoring one senior. We all know this is a young team, so it's going to be a short pregame, probably. We're, we're used to longer pregames for these senior days because there's usually a, a good amount of seniors, but this year just the one for the running Utes. Uh, but they'll be taking on Colorado a chance to avenge a truly awful loss they had in Boulder. They lost by 39 points earlier in the Pac-12 season. So we're hoping for a better showing against the Buffs today up at the Huntsman Center. And I think we should expect that because, quite frankly, like a lot of young teams seem to do, they're fantastic at home, the running Utes are, and they're, they've been pretty bad on the road. They, they finish the Pac-12 schedule without a road win in the regular season. So... They've, but yet they've been really good up on the hill at the Huntsman Center. So it should be, I'm expecting a competitive game at least, and hopefully uh, the guys can get it done and, and get a, another home win for their for their senior tonight uh, or today on Senior Day. Pre-game is at 11.30 again, tip-off at 12.30 here on ESPN 700. Uh, we'll have plenty of NBA talk for you today as well, I want, and I want to start with that, the Jazz specifically last night they looked like themselves again in Boston and it's been the first time in over a month that the Jazz have looked like the dominant defensive team that we have become accustomed to since Quinn Snyder took the job over in 2015 okay this is the first time they held a team under 100 points in 12 games Nils, when's the last time a Jazz team coached by by Quinn Snyder struggled to hold teams under 100 points? Can you can you even remember that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I I don't have the answer. In front yeah, of me there. I know you don't have the answer, but can you even remember a time? This has been the That's Jazz. Tough, yeah. This has been the Jazz calling card the past six years, and especially since Rudy Gobert has kind of come to. Re- come into prominence here and last night they beat Boston 99-94 it was a welcome sight to see the perimeter defense really play hard because we've talked about it on this show that's been the problem with the Jazz over the last month it hasn't been the offense even though at times the offense hasn't looked very good they've been scoring plenty of points it's been they've had a really hard time stopping people and Rudy hasn't looked as good quite frankly because he's had to shoulder a whole lot more because the teams are because the 
the team is not stopping anyone on the perimeter. And last night, they held Jason Tatum to under 20 points for just the third time in his last 20 games. He had 18 points on 7 of 19 shooting. This guy has been on fire, and he's averaged about 34 points a game since the All-Star break. The Jazz held him to 18, about half of that. So it was awesome to see. I don't know. You pro you may not have caught any of the game. I don't know if you caught any of it last night there, Nils, but it was it was really awesome to see the Jazz kind of be that defensive team again. Oh yeah, no, I uh, I caught some of it. I was watching several different games. I was watching the Pelicans. I was it was a big night in the NBA. It's yeah, true. I was watching some hockey. My boys, the Avs, are were looking to take over the first spot in the NHL. They didn't, but you know. But the Jazz game was awesome. It was uh, it was good to see him kind of clicking all around. It looked like, especially against a good comp- a good opponent. I know they've had those struggles where they're playing sub five hundred teams and they look phenomenal. And it's oh my god, the Jazz are incredible. We're going on, we're going deep in the playoffs, and then you put them up against legitimate competition, and everyone started to question it. But last night, Boston's a good team, and they looked good. They looked dominant on the defensive end. They looked good on the offensive end they were clicking everything was coming together so yeah I mean I think if they can keep that level of play up I was earlier looking at the the remaining 20 game stretch that they have to close out the season and I think if they can keep that level of play up I think it's it's reasonable for them to go 15 and 5 14 and 6 somewhere in that realm over the next 20 games we'll see obviously that's kind of an optimistic outlook but I think it's possible and that would be great, kind of get their rhythm and kind of solidify a bit of an identity, which they haven't really come up with all season going into the playoffs. And I think that would be key in order for them to try to make a playoff run to, I think, the Western Conference Finals is still reasonable. I mean, I think if they see the Lakers or Clippers in an earlier round, it's going to be a very tough task. It's not going to be an easy series but I think it can be done. So I'm I'm excited to see what this team can accomplish come postseason. Yeah, Nils, I've been you've heard me. I've been pretty optimistic about the Jazz, even even when they've gone through tough stretches this year. But as soon as they had that first five game losing streak, uh about a month ago at the end of January, that's when I started that's when the red flag started to come up for me. They lose to Houston and without Westbrook and Harden. They lose to San Antonio. They lose to Denver in a winnable game on the road. Uh, they Then later in the month, they lose to San Antonio again. You have the four-game losing streak at home. That was the moment where I'm like, now this team, I'm not as optimistic about this team. Now I'm starting to see some real concerns and some they're really starting to show some signs that maybe they won't meet won't get close or meet the expectations that we had for them which was to compete for the Western Conference Finals and compete for the NBA Finals more realistically the Western Conference Finals of course but in this in this stretch since the end of January last night's game was the first time that I started to feel like okay Maybe they can get this going again. Maybe they can be the great defensive team coupled with a much improved offense that we expected them to be in the, for this entire season. But so far, it's just one game. Even in this short four-game win streak, this is the only game the Jazz have looked like the Utah Jazz defensively. This is the only game. The other ones they they've blown out the Wizards. They've they beat the the Knicks pretty handily, even though it was a closer game in the final score. And they blew out the Cavs on the road. But in all of those, they gave up they gave up twenty to thirty points from a perimeter player that had no business scoring twenty to thirty points against this Utah Jazz team, other than Bradley Beal. Uh, he's probably the only one where you're like, okay. That's okay to give up that many points, but you talk about Colin Sexton, you talk about anybody on the Knicks right now. You're giving up that kind of, you're giving up those kind of uh, scoring nights from them. That's going to give you pause. But last night was the big test. Last night against a Boston team that's rolling, 
I already talked about it. They hold the star, their star, Jason Tatum, the biggest reason why Boston looks like a true contender right now. They hold them to under 20 points on 7 of 19 shooting. And so for me, I'm back to feeling like, hey, this whole Western Conference Finals, maybe an NBA Finals thing, is still in play. Another part of why it was so uh, – I'm so optimistic again about this Jazz team, I'm feeling really good about them, is that Mike Conley – also has quietly found his form over the last month. He had, for me, the best game he's had in a Jazz uniform last night. 25 points, 5 assists, 3 steals. He went 6 of 10 from 3. And since the beginning of February, he's averaged 17 points, 47% shooting, and 46% from 3-point range. This is the Mike Conley Jr. that we expected to see when the Jazz acquired him last summer, and it's coming at the perfect time because with how tight the West is right now, the Jazz need just about every game to secure home court in the first round and hopefully avoid playing Houston in the opening round again, Nils. I I think this is the – for all that we've talked about with Mike Conley maybe being a disappointment so far, obviously injuries played into that. Being on a new team has played into that. It feels like he's come. He's putting it together at the perfect time. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And something that, that I know I'm 100% guilty of, and I think a lot of us as sports fans are guilty of, especially when you're looking at a long five-month, 82-game season, is a lot of times we look at the micro and we take the micro as the end-all, be-all. So when the Jazz were going on that, that great run against not-so-great teams, we were looking at them like, this team is incredible. Then they went through that kind of slump against good teams, and we started to really question it. Is this team legit? Are they what we thought they were? And, I mean, like I said, I know I'm guilty of this as a sports fan across all sports, teams, players, everything. But if we kind of take a step back and look at the season as a whole, this is kind of exactly the rhythm you want to see as a team that make, that has a hope to make a deep run. Look at the Warriors of the past couple years. That kind of mid-season, January, around the All-Star break, when you know you're a team that's going to the playoffs, that I think the Jazz, as an organization, as fans, everyone, we know they're at least going to make the playoffs. We, we have that floor set for them. And it sometimes is hard to stay dedicated and stay committed to playing that level of basketball so you kind of go through those slumps but there's a time in the season when you want to gel and you want to come together and I think and that's now this is that time this last 20 game stretch when as a team with deep playoff hopes and championship aspirations this is the time when you want to gel you want to find your rhythm and come together and again like you said it's one game against the Celtics we don't know we still have 20 more games but if they can carry it, this is the perfect time for the Jazz to come together and really find a rhythm. Mike Conley's finding his step. The defense is coming back. Jordan Clarkson has started to fit in more. I mean, he was good right off the rip, but it was kind of an adjustment. Now he's molding in, and everyone's kind of buying in and coming together. So as a team that wants to take it deep into hopefully June, now is the time when it's like, okay, Get everyone healthy. Now's when earlier in the season we sit Mike Conley for those games so that he's healthy today, so that he's healthy now, so that he has a good stretch of games before the playoffs, so that if we do see Houston in the first round, we have a good point guard who's ready to go at Russell Westbrook and is fit in with the team. He's comfortable on the floor. He's comfortable with the team out there, which is something he hasn't gotten the opportunity to get all season because he's been injured and they've kind of been hesitant to play him so now him healthy him finding his rhythm the whole team finding their rhythm at this time of the year I think it's perfect and again I we need to be realistic about the expectations do I have them as a favorite to win the NBA championship no do I think it's possible yes anything in sports is possible and I mean you just got to watch it and play the games every game at a time. And um, the Jazz coming together now, I mean, at this time of the year, I think is a really good positive sign. And it's also a positive sign for seasons to come, showing that this group 
has the ability to come together and play well when they need to play well. Because there's games in the middle of January that you don't need to win. These, we need to win. Okay. Yeah, Nils, uh, I, I love that. I love the perspective there that you're bringing to this where it, it is these games are just one of 82, really. And these stretches where they lose five in a row, they lose four in a row, they win five in a row, they lose four, they win four in a row, whatever it is. These are four or five game stretches of just 82. And I think you're absolutely right. Championship teams, and again, like like you say, the expectation, the realistic expectation is probably not that for the Jazz, but championship contending teams, I think that's a realistic expectation for the Jazz, and they've shown that throughout the entirety of the season so far that they are that. The norm for that is they're going to have some times in the middle of the season, January, February. This year we got spoiled with January. They were fantastic in January and middle of December through the through about the week at the third week of January to be exact. They were fantastic. They lost 3 games, right? They looked like the best team in the NBA. They in fact had the best lineup in the NBA per 100 possessions offensively. So and actually, I think defensively as well. So they had literally the best lineup statistically in the NBA in that stretch. And we were spoiled a little bit. And now maybe we're starting to see who the Jazz really are. And honestly, up until last night, I was disappointed. I was feeling like maybe who the Jazz really are isn't really as good as we thought they would be. And then... But we always knew, the disappointment was, we always knew this group of players, even with the new guys, you have Boyan, you have Connolly, you have Clarkson, even with some of the new guys here, you also have guys like Niang getting more minutes than he's ever had until this season. We expected them to be able, and we knew that they were capable of playing top 10, top 5 defense, night in and night out, and we just haven't seen that until last night so hopefully that's a turning point now the offense other than Conley and Clarkson was not very good at all to be quite frankly with you or be quite frank with you the starters struggled but what was the talk in October and November this bench stinks this bench is bad then when they acquired Clarkson the bench started to be really good and, you know, mostly in that stretch we talked about in December and January. But as it's kind of evened out here, the bench has kind of been okay. And we started to see the same kind of issues we had at the start of the season. Last night, the bench looked like that awesome bench once again. And again, we, we've talked about the defense ad nauseum already. They looked fantastic. They they held the Celtics, the number two, I think the number three team in the East right now, 37% shooting, 27% from three. If they can do that kind of thing, especially against the good teams on their schedule and they have plenty of opportunity to play good teams, this is not, this is not the March schedule that we've gotten used to over the last few years where the Jazz have just turned it on. That was in January, which is why they had such a great month. A lot of playoff teams in the in the coming stretch, and I think, and that's... a couple of, and in addition to those playoff teams, you also have teams like the Spurs and the Blazers who are right outside the playoff picture. Playoff teams and playoff contenders that teams and the Pelicans too, teams that are fighting for a spot. The Grizzlies are in there, um, so yeah. I mean, the the good news about that is, I think this will be a. This is a perfect schedule to get your rhythm together because the you're not playing you're not our next game we're playing the Pistons they've got a game against the Hawks those aren't the teams you're going to be seeing in the in the playoffs you're looking at the Rockets the Lakers the Clippers the Grizzlies the Blazers the Spurs play, play the Nuggets the at Nuggets, least one more two, time I think as they well. have two against the Nuggets so yeah all teams that you're gonna be seeing so if you want to go deep in the playoffs. You need your rhythm, and you need your rhythm against these teams. So I think 
although it's not a cakewalk, it's going to be tough. I think this schedule is is perfect for the Jazz to get them ready for that playoff intensity. Yeah, I think two years ago, the first time Mar- March and April were cakewalks for the Jazz was perfect for that team because, number one, they were out of the playoff picture before that <laughs> in 2018. This was Donovan Mitchell's rookie year. Ricky Rubio's first year with the Jazz when he had that awesome second half. They needed that easy schedule to get into the playoffs, first of all. But also, it was perfect because this was a really young team. A lot of these guys hadn't played together before. They were just We were just reeling from Gordon Hayward deciding to go to Boston uh, a few months before. And so the Jazz, I think that team needed a really easy schedule to figure out, hey, when we play really well, we can win a lot of games. Last year, I feel like it kind of hurt the Jazz, even though standings-wise it got them in a good place to you know, 50 wins, the most wins they've had under Quinn Snyder. First time – or actually, that's the second most wins they've had under Quinn Snyder. 2017 they had 51. But just the second time they're a 50-win team under Quinn Snyder, it looked like they were a better team – on paper, but we saw in the first round against Houston, they were, and it was more than just, it was a bad matchup. They just weren't, they just did not improve. And I think having the softer schedule at the end did them a disservice this year. I think I agree with you, Nils. I think this year's the perfect time to have this. It's not the hardest schedule, hardest month that they've had last November was probably the hardest month they've had in 2018. But it's a good mix of playoff teams and playoff contenders and some easy ones. That, easy wins. Yeah, that some, they e- get. some wins that they should get against, like you said, tonight against the Pistons, Hawks. They've got a couple other ones sprinkled in there. It's a, it's a good mix of, of those when they, maybe they have a bad night against one of these playoff teams. They got a, they got a nice opponent where they can kind of recalibrate a little bit. And – be able to be challenged by these playoff teams and these playoff contenders. So this is a big month for the Jazz, to say the least. And they, like I said, they need every win to stay in the home court advantage part of the standings here in the top four going into the playoffs. Hopefully we continue to see what we've seen from Mike Conley. That'll be a huge key with that. And I believe even with the bad night the starters had last night, Mitchell and, and Rudy and, and Bogey, did not have a good night. I fully believe that's going to be the exception, not the rule. Yeah, that going happens. down the stretch, that happens it happens. Everyone. We saw you talked about you talked about the Warriors the last couple of years. They had those kind of nights more often than we thought they would in the middle of the season, and yet they were in the NBA Finals, right? <clears throat> Winning championships. We'll talk more about your Warriors later in the show, Nils. Don't you worry about that. Big week in the NBA. That's coming up next hour. Stephen Curry returning. Want to get your thoughts on that, Nils? We'll talk about his game. He had some awesome shots. Uh, Vintage Steph, even in, albeit in a loss in the NBA Finals rematch against the Raptors. We'll talk about that, so don't you worry about that. Coming up next, though, hear what RSL analyst Brian Dunseth had to say about the first match of the season for the Clareton Colball last week and today's home opener. You're listening to Sports Saturday on the home of Real Salt Lake, ESPN 700. RSL's home opener is today at noon down at the Riot over in Sandy. You can hear it on the FM dial on 101.5 and 105.5 The Eagle. Pre-game coverage starts at 11. But right now it's time for us to replay one of the best local ESPN 700 interviews of the week. This one's coming from The Drive with Spence Checkets. You can catch The Drive weekday afternoons from 2 to 6 right here on ESPN 700. Spence caught up with RSL analyst Brian Dunseth Tuesday. And to start out, Dunny unpacked his thoughts from RSL's nil-nil draw last week in Orlando. Yeah, I, 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 what, what I keep saying, and I know it was kind of confusing some people, when I said the eyeball test, 
you know, the eyeball test, I kind of, I kind of like roll my fingers together. There's, there's a feel to the game. Um, and when you're watching your team, you know, generate chances, it could be possession based. It could be the practical possession, or it could be a team that just hits in the transition. There's kind of those exciting offensive moments in a match. And that's not what we got in the first 45 minutes from Real Salt Lake. And a lot of it was because of kind of the functionality of heading into the first game of the season and recognizing you had a, a couple players that are still not back from injury, um, a couple players just joining the team, and knowing that you're going to lose a couple players to Olympic qualifying here in another week's time. So I understood what Freddie Juarez was having to go through and the difficulties um, of trying to be proactive and expansive and fun attacking soccer or football. Um, or, you know, you're, you're looking at a team that if that first 45 minutes you don't concede a goal, then you're setting yourself up to sneak three points or to get a point on the road against a team with no Nani and no Dom Dwyer, two of their biggest offensive threats. So, yeah, I think at the end of the day, Spence, um, like you and I were talking last week and kind of previewing this, this game in Orlando, if I would have said this is the best possible starting 11 for Real Salt Lake and they got a draw on the road in opening day in Orlando, I think everyone would have nodded their head and said, yeah, I'll take it. Um, cause that's kind of the charge for real Salt Lake and Freddie Juarez is to take more than just 16 points, four wins, nine losses, four draws on the road over the course of the 2019 season. So how many, um, I guess I'll say first choice members of the starting 11 were on that initial lineup slide, Dunny, in your opinion, obviously things will change. Yeah, I, I think as of right now, Zach McMath is going to be the starter, even though I think David Ochoa has a huge upside, um, Toya. Natum, it's either Justin or it's Marcel at the center back position alongside Natum right now. Uh, Aaron Herrera, even though he's playing right right midfielder, he's right back. So basically you're hiding your same defensive unit, but no Everton, no Kyle. I don't think Portillo or Beasler are starters in this team. I don't think Tate Schmidt's a starter in this team. Um, and I th- I, Dami's a starter, but Dami's going to be a deeper player next to Everton, I believe. Um, so I'd say you're probably missing four legit starters on the road uh, in Orlando, but you could see the difference the moment that, you know, Corey Baird comes on, Justin Merrim comes on, and Giuseppe Rossi. All of a sudden, you felt like uh, Real Salt Lake had the opportunity to score some goals. I have to dig a little bit deeper about what you were saying on the broadcast about Justin Merrim, who I don't know, um, but you uh, you were you were you were – uh, very helpful when you prepared us for the onslaught of booze that he was about to hear. <laughs> and then you said, well, he hates them too. So I had to look it up and I know that he was there for a minute. Didn't end well, but why the venom from Orlando fans towards Justin and why, why is the feeling reciprocated? Yeah. So when he was traded from the Columbus crew down to Orlando a couple of years ago, um, he was traded for significant allocation money. And it was like $1.2 million, which at the time was some of the biggest allocation money sent uh, for a player. And so then you kind of understood what the value of a massive trade started to look like. Well, Justin gets down there, and the, the, there's locker room issues. There's a cultural locker room issue. There's a personality issue. There's more, you know, Jason Kreis, uh is the head coach, and then he gets fired or sacked. There's just so many things going on down there. And then the fan base turning on each other. So I think there's probably too much pressure on Justin with regards to statistics, goals, and assists. I think ultimately they, Orlando fans, expected him to be lights out, a game changer every single time. And while he can be, I don't think that was kind of what how he was asked to play. Um, so he was drawing the ire and the attention of that fan base. Justin's got swagger and confidence. He pushed back. And next thing you know, there was a lot of middle digits that were extending towards Justin Merrim every time he stepped on the field for Orlando. And then he made it pretty clear that he wanted out and utilized social media as a means to just let everybody know how unhappy he was. So, and then last year going back with Atlanta United and kind of stuffing them and knocking them out of U.S. Open Cup, um, there's just pure hatred. And I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm all here for that stuff. We need more enemies as opposed to, to and more villains as opposed to just all, all these kind of cupcake sweetheart 
storylines that MLS always tries to provide us. You know, one of the things that I had to get used to is when it comes to soccer, it's just it's different than football or basketball. Like with basketball, you can make a trade and you can say, well, this guy's going to make a huge difference. Like Jordan Clarkson, the Jazz trade for him. And like the second night he's here, he goes for like 25. Okay, so there, yeah. it's, it's different in soccer because even back in the day where – you know, we would talk about some of these acquisitions, and with my background, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to come on uh, the field and the pitch. He's going to score goals right away, and yeah. you know, it, it doesn't necessarily work that way. So I want to ask you, like, a lot of people are really interested to see what Giuseppe Rossi can do in MLS, and we saw a truncated space. He came on in the 79th. You can tell the skill set is there, but What's realistic to expect for a guy who has a great pedigree, but who is 33 years old and has had a tremendous amount of injuries? Yeah, and those knee injuries, um, you know, it kind of leads us into this question of what are, you know, to your point, what what is reality with regards to statistics? I keep saying, and I know a lot of people um, that have watched him train and, and been on this team so far, um, I think he could be the dark horse signing because he's a free player. The salary that he's commanding isn't even in the top 10 for RSL players. And yet he is by far the most decorated player on that roster. 30 full international appearances for Italy, played at Manchester United, played at Fiorentina, played at Valencia. I mean, he, he's played at the highest level you can possibly play at. And I just think putting him, you know, you saw him come on the field. And I don't know if you saw that, Spence, but even the first couple of touches, like, he's just rolling the ball and dragging it with the bottom of his cleats and immediately defenders kind of drop off of him. I think when they're healthy, you know, my hope, you, I mean, listen, utopia Spence is we're talking, this guy's double digit goal scorer and provider um, reality. I don't, I don't know. I really don't know, but I do know that he'll tell you, um, you know, the, the most important thing about fitness is the amount of games and game matches and fitness and sharpness. Um, so more and more, I think, as he stays healthy and we see what his technical ability is, um, I think the sky's the limit for, for this group to get the best out of Giuseppe Rossi. Catching up with RSL analyst Brian Dunseth. Of course, you can see and hear him on the RSL broadcast and then uh, X, Sirius XM radio every afternoon for you soccer fans. Easy to find him on, on social. It's just his name, at Brian Dunseth, and Dunseth is D-U-N-S-E-T-H. Um, all right, simple question, but I want some nuance from the eyes of Brian Dunseth. Where are the goals going to come from? I mean, you can talk about an individual here or there. Like, they're just, they're, there weren't enough chances over the weekend for my taste or anybody's taste. And, look, I, I know the defense settled in, and I want to talk about that in a minute. But ultimately, your success lies in your ability to finish and score goals. How will that look uh, from this team this year, Dunny, or at least how do you hope it will look? Um, I hope is that Sam Johnson gets back on the field and, and, and is available for Freddie Juarez as soon as possible and not necessarily week five or week six as he was dealing with off-season knee injury and recuperation. Um, I would also say that Douglas Martinez, who scored like 22 goals last year for Real Monarchs, and I know it's a level below, provides something completely different than the other strikers. Giuseppe Rossi, as we already talked about, a healthy Corey Baird, I thought was probably the sharpest and fittest I've seen in preseason before he uh, he did, what was it, his hamstring or his quad? Um, and, and then Justin Merrim, who joined the squad late uh, before their last trip to Phoenix. I think there's goal-scoring ability, but, you know, the biggest test for Freddie Juarez is to not be the team that just sits back and looks to transition and counter. Um, the, the charge is to actually, and you and I have talked about this, Spence, this team, this club, hasn't really played with a real striker since Alvaro Sabarillo. And I know Yura came in and played striker, but at that point, Yura was more interested in kind of getting in the seams, playing off the shoulder of the outside center back, as opposed to kind of being in between and taking the hits, running across the middle. Um, so that that's going to be Freddie and Real Salt Lake's biggest issue this year is, I think, really trying to figure out how to play with a true number nine, as opposed to playing with like a Demir Krylock of fake number nine, or playing with a Corey Baird who just kind of like freestyles it. Because it can't always be about hard work and, and team ingenuity with regards to defensively playing the game. Sometimes you got to go out and you got you got to put it all on the line and, and show that with a little bit of cockiness and swagger that this team can actually play. Um, so I think we'll see that against New York Red Bulls, more of an offensive-looking team as they introduce more and more attacking players. But 
I think that'll be kind of the theme that I'll be watching all season long. You don't replace a legend. It's tough to step in when a legend steps aside. That's what Nick Romano has done, and uh, that's what Zach, at least for now, Zach McMath is faced with. He was never really tested, Donnie. I mean, he did have a decent save on on Mueller. That kid is pretty dangerous, by the way, from my vantage point. Uh, but overall, your yeah. thoughts on Zach's performance and how the defense held up and did come away with a clean sheet? Yeah, I, w- I would just say a very experienced and professional performance from Zach McMath. Um, it was weird, right? I mean, I'm, I'm used to seeing that black jersey, Nick Romando, and, and the number 18. And while Zach picked the number 18, which is kind of weird in its own right, that the number 18 is still between the posts, uh, that it was a Zach McMath one. Um, you know, the, the, when the ball's at his feet, it's going to be different than Nick Romano being able to be kind of like the number 10 where you can ping a ball back to him and he can play out of pressure. Um, kicks are going to look different. Goal kicks, uh, you know, when the ball's in his hands, it's going to look different. But I thought overall Zach did fine. Um, I, I think the one thing that Zach's going to bring to the table is a level of an experience that, uh, the guys around him, they're going to hear the information and they're going to, you know, they're going to abide by it. Um, you know, and the challenge for David Ochoa, I think David Ochoa is the future, but like any young player, as you know, Spence, you, you, you can be a phenom or you can be, you know, a, a really experienced and, and proven pro. And I think that's going to be the next step because there's going to be ups and downs in his development. Um, the club has to be patient, but also give him opportunity when opportunity warrants itself. Before we talk about um, the Red Bull specifically, if you had to guess, when we do see the lineup slide in preparation for Saturday, what kind of changes do you anticipate to Freddie starting 11? Um, I would say that he's got a decision to make about Justin Glad, knowing that he's going to lose Justin Glad, Aaron Herrera, David Ochoa to the U.S. uh, under-23 Olympic qualifying team, who's Jason Kreis' head coaching. Um, and he's also going to lose, Freddie's going to lose Douglas Martinez to Honduras because they're qualifying uh, out of CONCACAF in the under-23 as well. So I think Justin, I, I don't think the Justin Glad experiment at right back is uh, Justin gets dropped for this one. I'm, I'm just thinking because Marcelo Silva and Nada Monroja, those reps, because you're going to lose Justin, you just continue with those two. So Aaron drops back. I would say a new attacking right midfielder, a new attacking left midfielder. Uh, Everton Luis comes back into the starting round because he was suspended for that first game. My hope is Dami goes in the midfield. Um, so in front of Albert, you're looking at Giuseppe Rossi or you're looking at Douglas. You're looking at a real point striker. Um, so I could see up to four legitimate changes um, because you want to put on a show. And first game of the season, you're going to get a bunch of and, – and this club knows it. First game of the season, you're going to get a lot of people there that don't necessarily have season tickets. So it's time to put on a show for them. Um, and I think that's kind of the charge against the Red Bulls. Don't know much about the Red Bulls. When I was reading some preseason stuff, they're not very highly thought of as far as what most people believe they can be this year. But they did pick up a win, 3-2 over Cincinnati last week. So we'll give RSL fans your take on what they can expect from the opponent this weekend. Yeah, to be it's, it's still to be determined. Um, a team that... that that lost Luis Robles, well, let Luis Robles leave. He's now the captain of Inter-Miami. Bradley Wright Phillips, they moved on from him. He's at LAFC now. Um, You know, they're a young group. Daniel Royer, Brian White, uh, Caceres in the midfield, Sean Davis, the captain. Kaku, the Brazilian, is going to be their best playmaker. They're most dangerous on the ball. You're going to try to limit his opportunities. Uh, But if RSL fans watch that game against FC Cincinnati, two things. Number one, FC Cincinnati is going to suck again this year. Uh, and number two, the New York Red Bulls just played the opponent in front of them and yet still conceded two really soft goals. So, I, 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 you know, behind the scenes, there's been some significant structural change to the way the New York Red Bulls are run here in the United States. Um, and I think for both Chris Armas and Dennis Hamlet, the coach and general manager, respectively, they're both under a pretty significant amount of pressure to start the season off well. And if not, I think both those guys are going to be out. Last thing, Dunny, then we'll set you loose on this. Just big picture takeaways from the first weekend of MLS action. I mean, things that you expected, things that caught you off guard. Like, what were your biggest takeaways from the first weekend? Um, that Spencer Checkett submitted has the mental stability of Rusty Pierce and that I said it on air. You're welcome, uh, by the way. You weren't expecting that one. <laughs> 
Hey, I'm going to need an official submission for you because for those that are listening that don't know, as I call these games for RSL, there's a lot of interaction on social media, on Twitter, all over the place. And so I ask for submissions, for sentences, words, funny things, uh, awkward things to kind of slide them in as my commentary. And Spencer's was uh, the mental stability of Rusty Pierce. And that's a that's a game show because Rusty Pierce was all over the show. I think he would he would probably kiss the Bible and two flip the uh, goalpost within <laughs> two or three minutes of one another. That dude was terrifying, um, man. What's that? that? That dude was downright. I lo- He was a nice guy, but he scared the hell out of me. Yeah, because when his eye crossed, the moment that he uh, <laughs> crossed the white line, all of a sudden you're like, dude, this not this guy is not right. Mm-hmm. Um, which he was not right. Uh, I would say big storylines. LAFC are the real deal. Uh, we knew that with what we saw against Concacaf Champions League opponent in Lyon and coming back from a two 0 deficit to move on. Um, Horrible news that Joseph Martinez, the Atlanta United striker, did his ACL in the first MLS game of the season, uh, which kind of leads to questions about how they're going to try to replace him in the Eastern Conference. And there is, I think, a significant uh, reset with regards to how many teams spent significant amounts of money in the offseason. For some, huge one. For others, I think huge disappointments with maybe some of the quality of player that we saw when you, when you compare and contrast how much money was spent in the off season. Um, I'm still withholding complete judgment with what I've seen. I think it's week one. It's, it's, it's only trying to be fair. Um, but there's, there's some concern. I, I think already showing some kind of, uh, some paper cracks, uh, with some MLS teams. Um, but you know, it's week one, don't get too high, don't get too low. Uh, but by the end of March, uh, we'll get a clear indication of how many teams really screwed this up during the offseason. So that was Brian Dunseth, RSL analyst, on The Drive with Spence Checkets on a Tuesday. Once again, you can catch The Drive weekday afternoons from 2 to 6 right here on ESPN 700. Coming up, the NBA released a memo asking teams to prepare in the event of a coronavirus outbreak. What's the NBA asking teams to do, and how does it affect you as fans? You're listening to Sports Saturday with James Peterson and Nils Bellick on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back to Sports Saturday on ESPN 700. James Peterson with you. Nils behind the glass, producing the show, doing a great job as always. And don't want to scare people this segment. There's nothing imminent going on. But I do want to talk about some relevant news that was broke uh, by Shams, the NBA beat writer for The Athletic. He broke the news yesterday of a memo sent by the NBA to all 30 teams, including the Jazz, asking them to prepare to have games without fans in the event of a serious coronavirus outbreak in North America. The memo asks teams to begin identifying their essential personnel and to close the arena to anyone else if a serious outbreak were to occur. So basically, nothing's imminent yet. This is just, as a precaution, they're asking teams to prepare for a potential uh, serious situation with the coronavirus. As we know, it's not a huge issue here in North America. We've had a few cases. We've had a few deaths, unfortunately, but it's not nearly as big of an issue as it is in China and uh, the rest of, in lots of parts of Asia. But it goes to show here that this is just more evidence of how serious this sickness, this epidemic is being taken. And it's not just the NBA. The NCAA has also prepared an emergency plan that would include banning spectators from March Madness games. Nils, can you imagine NBA and NCAA tournament games played without fans in the building? No, not at all. That's It's a wild thing to imagine. I know they did that for a couple, uh, I believe it was Premier League matches over in Europe. There were four of the biggest matches of the year that they closed and played behind closed doors without fans, which is pretty wild. And it's tough. I mean, it's a sensitive subject. It's very serious. Um, it's kind of really hard to 
say too much at this point. We kind of got to sit back and watch where it goes and watch what happens. But I think it's good that the NBA and the NCAA are taking it seriously and, and putting these precautions out. And I mean, fingers, fingers crossed that they are just precautions and that, that we don't end up having to do these things and, and play March Madness and NBA games without fans there. Because, I mean, I know LeBron came out and said last night, if the fans aren't there, I'm not playing. And I don't blame him for saying that. I I totally get it. I think it's a respectable sentiment. The fans are a huge part of the game, especially from a spectator's standpoint. I can't imagine watching March Madness with no fans. That would It would be kind of cool to see just for like one game as a novelty, but as the whole tournament goes, I would hate to see that. It would be a real shame for the fans, for the teams, for the sport, everything. But, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, and I think it's good that these organizations are taking this seriously and putting measures in place in case we're faced with that, which I certainly hope we don't have that issue. Yeah, let's be honest. For certain demographics, coronavirus really shouldn't be that big a deal. Uh, and I say that with as much respect as I possibly can about the people who have died from it and the seriousness of the illness. The fact remains, statistically, people in the younger, like under 30, I believe, it's a less than 1% chance of dying from the the coronavirus so far with the data that we have. So for me personally, I haven't felt because I, I do thankfully fall under that. I haven't felt that scared, that serious about this illness, other than the fact that I don't want to be a carrier, right? And that's what we're talking about here with the NBA. It's not about, and the NCAA doing these kind of things, it's not necessarily about, hey, we all think everyone who gets this is going to die. It's more about if the people that get this they could pass it along to someone else and they could pass it to someone in that demographic and the, the senior citizens that are actually dying from this, especially those with predisposed medical conditions. Um, they, they're actually dying from this. So these kind of things is just the responsible thing to do at the very least to prepare, to ha- ask teens pre- to prepare for this in both sports. Uh, going back to what you said about, LeBron saying, I'm not playing without fans. I think that speaks to, number one, how important fans are to NBA players. Not necessarily individually. We see some players that they care about every individual fan. Donovan Mitchell is a great example of that. At least that's what he shows to us publicly. I think the majority of NBA players, they care about the reaction, the live reaction they get. They get they We've seen throughout sports over you know decades that the feedback from the crowd the huge ovations the boos all these things fuel these athletes to play at the best of their ability right i think that's more what lebron's talking about is like if there's not fans here i don't think i can play my best so i don't want to play but also it speaks to it also speaks to how important just having fans matters to these players more than just like, because a lot of these players want to be famous. They want to grow their brand and they have to have a following in order to do that. So it speaks to that sort of thing as well. Uh, It would be very strange to see games without fans. And here's the thing. If NBA teams don't identify media as essential personnel these games may not even be broadcasted we may not see games the teams may have to release uh, a uh, press release to newspapers to media outlets saying this was the final score these were the stats I mean can you um, imagine that I hope it doesn't come to that but it would be such a surreal thing to know that a sporting event went on as big as an NBA game or NCAA tournament game, and we had we didn't watch a minute of it. No one saw it unless you were a player, a coach, part of the coaching staff, or part of anyone else that's deemed essential personnel. I hope it doesn't come to that. Everyone stay safe. Wash your hands. 
do all the things that we're being told to do to prevent the spread of this disease because it's being taken very seriously and for good reason. Uh, so this is just a, an example of how it can affect the sports world going forward. Uh, coming up, though, in our last segment, and we have an abbreviated show here with uh, Running Utes Senior Day coming up at 1130, our pregame coverage, that is. Coming up, it was a pretty big week for the NBA on the court as well. We'll talk about it next. This is Sports Saturday on ESPN 700. Now tuned into the greatest. Turn the music up in the headphones. If you missed any part of this show or any of our past shows, head to ESPN700sports.com or the ESPN700 app and go to the podcast tab and look for Sports Saturday. Or you can search ESPN 700 Sports Saturday wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate all of you for tuning in each and every week, whether it's live or on the air. Live on the air or or if you podcast it later, we really appreciate all of you for tuning in. What a week of NBA basketball we just had. We had the long-awaited return of Nils guy Steph Curry on Thursday. Yes, sir. Last night it was LeBron versus Giannis, Lakers versus Bucks, the best two teams record-wise in the league at Staples Center. And here locally, the story is we've seen we already talked about this ad nauseum. We won't go over this anymore, but it was still big this week NBA-wise. Here we saw the Jazz return to form uh, last night versus the Celtics. Uh, we'll get into all of that this segment, but first we got a ton of live games for you on our airwaves across our Broadway media stations today. We have RSL's home opener. Kickoff is at noon. Pre-game just got underway on the FM dial, 101.5 and 105.5, the Eagle. And then here on ESPN 700, we have Senior Day for running Utes basketball up at the Huntsman Center. Pre-game starts right after us at 11.30. This will be our last segment. And then tip-off is at 12.30. It's Senior Day versus Colorado, who's been a really good team in the Pac-12 this year. A uh, chance for them to avenge a pretty bad loss in Boulder uh, about a month ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, this time at home, where they've been much better, that game will be, as always, on the call. Bill Riley, the voice of the Utes, and former running Ute Jim Soto. We'll also have number 12, Duke, hosting North Carolina here on ESPN 700 right after Utah basketball. The tip-off is at 4 o'clock. I'm excited for that one. I'm a big Carolina fan. Uh, repping Carolina right now in the studio. Excited to see if this young Carolina team can do what they didn't do at home and actually close the game out. As exciting as that was, would have been way more awesome if they could have held on to the lead and uh, closed the game out before it went to overtime. Maybe get a maybe get a defensive rebound, you know, and uh, maybe force a double overtime. One of those things. One of those two things happened. They were so close to upsetting Duke at the Dean Dome. Hopefully, hopefully they can do so at Cameron Indoor. That's going to be here on ESPN 700 at 4 o'clock. And then over on nine, on ESPN 960, we have BYU Baseball taking on Oklahoma State down in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, first pitch is less than an hour away at noon. So plenty of stuff for you to listen to on our airwaves across our, our stations here at Broadway Media. But I want to I want to talk about Steph Curry's return, Nils. You big Warriors fans, you spent your uh, high school years in the Bay Area. What was it like seeing Steph Curry on the court? It was awesome. I I can't say enough how much fun he is to watch, and I'm sure for those of you out there that watched the ESPN broadcast, I'm sure you heard it said many times. They're a different team when he's on the floor in pretty much every aspect. The spacing is different. The respect that the defense uh, gives them is different. The way teams play them uh, in the half court is totally different. And just the energy that the team has, it just feels different watching that game. It was I was sitting there as they were making their run, kind of that comeback where you thought, okay, like they – they could make a run here at this game. And didn't it sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. Didn't it feel like 
in those finals years, the five straight years before this year, obviously winning the years they were their winning championship championships. It felt like in those years, anything could happen. Doesn't matter what the score is, anything can happen because we have Steph and and KD for a lot of that time too. But because we have Steph, anything can happen. I think maybe I felt I felt that watching this game on Thursday night. I was like, okay, they've been down all game. The Raptors are probably gonna, should be running away with this, but they got Steph. The I would not be surprised if the Warriors come back at home and win this game with a 14-win team. I mean, that's what it felt like to me as a fan. Did that kind did that kind of get recaptured for you? Even though this team has is nowhere near the team they've been the last five years. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You got when he hit that uh, and one three there. That was. I don't think I. I mean, I know for a fact I. Granted, this is the first year in the Chase Center, Chase Center, but I haven't heard the Warriors crowd that loud in a year since probably the the Portland Trailblazers series last year. So I, that that may have been the loudest that Chase Center has ever been because it's the new year and new season, first season in that building. That really, and you could see it, you could see it on the court, you could see it on the bench, you could feel it just through the TV. That oh wow, the Warriors are are. They're not the Warriors of old of the past five years, but they're back. They have life. They have energy. And I started, I mean, I'm fine with Steph on minutes restrictions. Keep him on minute restrictions for the rest of the season. For all I care, this season's done. We want him healthy. We're packing it in for next year. It's awesome to see him on the floor. Awesome to see him getting acclimated with these new guys and the young kids out there. That was awesome. I started to make the joke, though, when they made that run. Like, come on, guys, we still want that number one pick. Don't don't come back with all these wins just yet. This season's over. We're, we're not playing for anything. But, yeah, it was it was incredible to see him out there. And um, like I said before, it was just kind of a whole different team. And you could feel it. You could feel it up and down. And I think it's just incredible for, for the game of basketball and um, kind of remind everyone that uh, Trey Young's not the deep three point God, you know, he's, he's following suit. There's another guy who, who did it, did it first and did it a little better, but yeah, it was awesome. I'm so happy he's back. It was really cool to see. And now I'm, I'm not a Warriors fan. I kind of became an anti Warriors fan over the years. Even a lot though, of people did, even though I still, I still have a t- tremendous respect for Steph Curry. Love his game. Super exciting to watch. I kind of became that anti-Warriors fan that a lot of people around here are. A lot of people outside of the Bay area are. It was easy to do. But I couldn't help myself watching this game going, man, it's so great having Steph back. And I never thought that I would really feel quite that way about it. But the NBA is just different when he's playing, when he's out there doing his thing. The and one three was spectacular. He had the other one in the second quarter where he's falling out of bounds that from the shot wing. Clock, yeah, and just and the, mm-hmm. He had like two or three guys running at him and just draining it. He looked like the Steph Curry of old on that minutes restriction. Honestly, I'm okay with people saying, with you saying, and especially Warriors fan going, yeah, put him on a minutes restriction, whatever, the, the, the season's over. I'm not necessarily okay with automatically, oh, yeah, he's been hurt all year. He should be on a minutes restriction. The guy broke his wrist or broke yeah, his hand. I agree. It's not a. You don't need you don't necessarily need a minutes restriction because you hurt your hand. I agree completely. I mean, no matter how long he missed for it, you can you can play your full minutes with a rehabbing a hurt hand, coming back from rehabbing a hurt hand. It's gonna be okay. It, you're not gonna have a KD or Clay Thompson situation, horrific situation we had in the finals last year with the Achilles and the torn ACL. Yeah. It's when. You're not gonna even if his hand gets reaggravated, it's not gonna be that serious. He may miss a significant amount of time, but it's not gonna be that serious, it's not gonna be career threatening like an ACL and certainly an Achilles tear can be. But that being said, in the context of they have only won fourteen games, yeah. This season's over, just yeah. keep him keep him healthy. That's kind of my main Play thing. him enough to put on a show. Exactly. And to get these young guys used to playing with him, especially big big point there, yeah. Especially Andrew Wiggins and Eric Pascal, yep, and Damian Lee, Marquise Chris. If he comes back, these kind of guys that have 
that have been big factors for the team this year without their stars. You want those guys to get used to playing with Steph Curry. So play him enough to where they get used to playing with him. And then do whatever you want once he gets the, close to that 30-minute mark, sit him the rest of the game, whatever you want to do. I just I think it's been overblown that, oh, they should sit him out because he's missed six months. Guys, it's a hand injury. He'll uh, be yeah, fine. I yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> and it's good to see these guys because there were a couple instances in that game where you could tell it was just the unfamiliar, unfamiliarity where Steph gives up the ball makes a cut or makes a run, and if that's Clay, if that's Draymond, a familiar player, it's right back to him, and he has a, an open layup. There was one, I think, to close out the half where he gave it up to Jordan Poole, made a cut to the to the hoop, and was wide open for a layup, but Jordan Poole just held on to it for, for an extra second before he saw that, and that's just getting familiar knowing the tendencies of your guys. So yeah, I'm all for it. Keep him out there. Just make sure he's good ready to go and can spend the summer focusing on basketball and getting ready for next year, not rehabbing. That's yeah. my thing. And you know Steve Kerr is going to be going over. You know he's going over that with his guys. Like, hey, guys, I know you guys are new to this, but we need to see We need to see Steph on the cut. We need, when Clay's back next year, we're gonna, he's going to be doing that too. We're exactly. Gonna, Draymond's going to be doing those kind of things too. And luckily, they have all summer for that. Absolutely. Awesome. So, But it was just awesome to see him come back Thursday night. They lose in the finals rematch. Raptors come away 121-113. I thought one little aside, I thought it was funny watching that broadcast. How many times, and I haven't watched a lot of other Raptors games this season, but how many times they said the champion Raptors, the defending <laughs> champs? Oh, the the they got to remind the people, Warriors right? are down five to the champs. This and that. He was. We get it. Yeah. KD got hurt. We get it. The <laughs> champs. They won it. That's great. The finals rematch. I get it. It wasn't the finals rematch, but everyone that everyone wanted. But I thought that was that was funny. Well, that you it was know, always the champs, the champions. This that. And it, that's not happening in the other games, I guarantee yeah. it. We get it. We don't want to talk about it. You guys beat us. You've you've watched in we've watched NBA basketball enough. It's always we've, the we've yeah. worked in this in, industry long enough to know you gotta play you gotta play towards the ratings here. Hype it up, yeah. Hype 100%. it up as much as you can, especially when you're talking about a bad team that Just was in the finals last frustrating year. Frustrating when it's against going, your boys. Yeah, <laughs> going up against uh, a good team that was the that happens to be defending champs. You're going to play that card all broadcast long. But yeah, some I mean, interest. the Raptors are but yeah. they're they're great. And I big shout out to the Raptors because nobody thought oh, that yeah. they would be able to do this year what they've been able to do losing Kawhi. So huge shout out to the Raptors. Not a Kyle Lowry fan, but I'm a I'm a Raptors fan. I, I like the organization. Yeah, Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam have been spectacular leading the team this yes. year. And Guys like their role players like Fred Van Vliet Fred have been Van Vliet, really I was good. About to say that uh, and OG Ananobi, who didn't play yep. at all last year, picked up where he left off after a good uh, rookie year in 2018. Marcus Saul's been out for a while too, and they've still been balling. They haven't missed a beat. Yeah. They've actually been better. You could argue as far I as agree. wins and losses goes without Marcus Saul uh, since he's been out, but. Awesome to see Steph back in there. He had 23 points in less than 30 minutes. It was vintage Steph, and it was just good to see a star return. And uh, it'll be fun to see him finish out the season. I want to talk a little bit about here in the last couple minutes of the show here. I want to talk about Bucks lakers last night as well. And LeBron versus Giannis. The MVP talk for LeBron is heated up a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it's really that deserved, to be honest with you. I think Giannis is running away with this, or should be. Obviously, the media is the one that votes for it, so all these media members that are that are saying, hey, not so fast, LeBron should be MVP. They, he's gaining more votes than he probably should be. It's going to be closer than we thought it would be, or it maybe should be. But it's still LeBron. He's still arguably the best player in the game. And Giannis, who has been the MVP all season long, last year's MVP as well, it was fun to watch them go head-to-head. Lakers ultimately come away with the home win, 113, was it 103? Was that the final score? Might have been a little closer, I think. I'll do a quick check here. The final score last night, yeah, 113-103. Lakers coming away with the home win. Giannis, though, 32-11-6. LeBron, 
37, 8, and 8. So you know this matters to LeBron. That's what you're getting at from there is that this kind of this matchup matters to him. And it matters to Giannis as well. A little bit of a hot take here. LeBron's not the most not even the most valuable player on his team. I I I would disagree with that. But. Anthony Davis has been such a big difference maker for this team. He's been Think about where they would be if they just had Anthony Davis though. Well, so here's the thing. They wouldn't be a playoff team with just LeBron or with just Anthony Davis. That yeah, that's that's fair. But while they're on the court together, Anthony Davis has been more important to the Lakers than LeBron slightly but he's been more important because of the defense because he's changed their defense and honestly the the stats play it out here and I'm not just talking about points rebound assists whatever I'm going advanced stats he averages he's averaging more win shares than LeBron is I mean it's, it's not by much but that tells you he's contributing to wins more than LeBron is on a nightly basis I mean so Anthony Davis slightly for me more valuable to the Lakers this year than LeBron. So I just don't think he would be doing any of that without LeBron. That's that's my I mean, rebuttal I don't know. to that. We're seeing I mean maybe not the win shares wouldn't be quite as high. But we're seeing the we're seeing that he's done this same kind of thing in New Orleans just on worse teams. Yeah, I mean, I'm not totally dis I'm just, you know. Yyyeah. No, it's an debating. argument to be had, but it's not. It's not this. LeBron is the reason why not they're blasphemy. Yeah, it's it's not point blank. LeBron's the reason why they're the best team in the West. Anthony Davis is for me more of a reason why they're there at that position than uh, LeBron is for That's the Lakers fair. in that case. And I would honestly, I put LeBron third in the MVP vote right now. Giannis, Anthony Davis, LeBron. Uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in today to Sports Saturday. This has been Sports Saturday on ESPN 700, the home of the Utes. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.